Hey there. On this episode of the Big Sis Pod, I've got a beautiful young lady who's going to be sharing her personal story with self-harm and when she tested out suicide attempts. This podcast does get pretty heavy and may offend some listeners. Big Sis Pod! (laughs) Big Sis Podcast. We love Big Sis! Welcome to the Big Sis Pod and, of course, the Big Sis community. Here's your host, Karen Mason. Depression and suicide is a topic that doesn't get discussed too much in the mainstream media. And of course, I can understand why. It is dark, it is heavy, and very awkward to talk about. But the reality is it still affects a lot of people, and I feel like it really needs the airtime. I've personally experienced a family member taking their own life and the horrific guilt that loved ones are then forced to face after someone chooses to end their time here on Earth. The reason for doing this particular episode for the Big Sis Pod is to hopefully help someone, even if it is just one person, to go and seek help if they are questioning being here. Stevie Noah joins us from the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. How are you, darling? Doing good, thank you. Good. And you are just so brave being able to talk about this with us. So thank you so much. And you're only just starting to talk about this publicly. It must be really hard. Yes, it's definitely, you know, we recently had a loss in our family, someone very young, 19 years old, and it just, something inside of me just said, I need to share my story and I need to get it out there. And it has, yeah, it's been very (laughs) confronting, but also I got a lot of messages from that, that people need to hear this and need help. Mm, I certainly agree. And again, thank you for being so brave and sharing it with us. And the the other thing is, you know, I have met you and you are actually a really bubbly person and full of life. So it just was really quite a shock to me when I saw you publicly speaking about this, that you have had, you know, such deep depression and that you are obviously looking at taking your own life. So let's go into your childhood to start off with, with the fact that, you know, you were growing up within a very religious family. And look, I am a Christian, so I, you know, I know that it's very sensitive talking about religion and, but there are definitely different levels of believing in the Bible and where they want to take that information from and, and all that. So you came from a very heavily religious family. I did. So I was homeschooled out on, out in the middle of nowhere on a cattle ranch. Um, And so the influence that I had was only, I was only allowed to have church friends, other homeschool friends, and then, you know, a few other like farmer type people friends. And most of them were very heavily religious. And, and I, like I said, when I first told the story, it's not anything against religion because I have met obviously people like yourself and even Katrina Ruth and other people that, that are Christian people that are awesome, awesome, amazing, incredible people. It's just The way that I was raised was very old-fashioned, brimstone and fire type, heavy guilt. Mm, Like going uh, to hell and all that really scary stuff. Yeah, exactly. So that's how I was brought up. My mom was Catholic, then we became Christian, then we became Pentecostal, which is a different form of Christianity. They run around the church, speak in tongues, fall down, and all kinds of stuff like that. Wow. So real full on. Mm, And there's a lot of shame and guilt attached to that. So that's sort of when you started feeling bad about yourself going, oh, I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to burn and all this horrific stuff. Of course, anyone, especially (laughs) as a child, is going to freak out about that. Totally. Yeah. So I was very conscious of the negativity, I guess. And also we weren't 
we're very, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So we were, you know, in that sort of lower class, you know, farmer heavy feeling. So it was, and it was like, we had to be that way or else we'd be prideful. And so there's just a lot of um, arguing in the household, um, a lot of blame, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt and reminders that if you didn't walk the path that you would not be blessed and that sort of thing. And so the guilt, we learned how to be guilty. We learned, you know, anytime I do anything wrong, my mom would have later, you know, as I became a teenager, she would have her church friends come over and they would, instead of just my parents scolding me and grounding me, then they would, I would have the church women doing it to me as well. And even to the point where I would sit, I'd be like, I didn't do anything wrong. And they would force me to get to the point where I was actually crying and, you know, admitting to things that I supposedly did that I didn't really do until I was crying and that sort of thing. And it was just, I didn't realize how much they didn't like themselves. <laughs> they were portraying that onto me as well, or they were trying to figure out their own lives. So. That's really traumatic for a kid. And then obviously this happened into your teenage years as well. So then you started to rebel. Uh, what kind of stuff were you doing? Yeah. So just normal stuff. At first it was just um, sneaking out and going to like, well, because we're cow, well, I was a cowgirl at the time. So rodeos and yeah. I haven't seen your cowboy boots. I want to have a look. (laughs) I put them in the closet years ago before (laughs) Australia. (laughs) Um, But no, I was, I was just doing normal teenage girl things. Um, Obviously kissing boys started, you know, that sort of thing happened. Drinking beers. um, Like our fun times were to go to someone else's farm out in the middle of the field um, near a haystack somewhere and have a little party and drink beers and that sort of thing. You know, so not really bad stuff, just normal teenage stuff. Um, I did get to the point where, you know, I thought, well, if I'm going to get in trouble for hanging out and just being a normal person anyways, I might as well start doing the bad things. So Right. And what kind of drugs did you tap into then? Yeah, well, at that point, it was mostly alcohol. Full, full, yeah, as much as I possibly could. And that's when other things started to happen. The anxiety and the insomnia started to start. Okay, let's talk about that insomnia and how that was created. So, because it was maybe more so after the insomnia that you started getting into the heavier drugs. Is that correct? Precisely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, with this insomnia, I when I saw your live stream about your story, that you had some really now. Not everyone's going to believe this, and and let's put this out there. But I believe you that there were evil entities that were hanging around you and that were trying to contact you and connect with you, as in taking over your body when you're sleeping and all this really heavy, dark stuff. And as we're saying, not everyone's going to believe it, but you had this situation. What's it called exactly? Well, uh, funny enough, I did learn about them later in life and they're in a lot of mythological books, but basically they're called a succubus, incubus, they are a form of an entity that basically strangles you while you sleep. And it's not something that I thought anyone would ever believe, which is why I've never told the story. But basically what happened was as I was feeling this guilt and this, like I was a horrible person, pretty much all of my life, very, um, like I was insufficient or... Um, well, you were told that, but you weren't. Uh, precisely. Mm. And so I took that on. And as I was laying in bed one night, um, I was in a full deep sleep, having a dream that I was in front of the feet of God. And, and then I literally woke up out of a dead sleep, grabbing the sides of my bed because my bed had turned into something like a black hole and I was getting sucked down like a vacuum through it. 
And it was the scariest thing I'd ever experienced. And when I find when that finally stopped, that's when I had the, fir- the first time had this something entity that I could see. It, it jumped up on top of me and it started strangling me. And it was the most horrific feeling. They're a horrible feeling. They come with, they feel like anger. They feel like guilt. They feel scary. They're horrible, whatever they are. And that's the first time it happened. But the problem was, is that I thought, you know, that was a random event. But the problem was, is that it kept happening. So it happened night after night, after night, after night for years while I lived at home. And I didn't sleep and I became very anxious. Obviously, I didn't sleep after. Well, it would make you feel crazy because no, you can't really it talk did. about it with anyone. And unless you're a spiritual person, you might not be aware that there are entities out there. And so you and I are very spiritual, mm-hmm. so we do know about it. But yeah, for other people, I mean, who are you going to tell that to? So of course, you would have felt like you're crazy. Crazy. Mm. Totally crazy. And I didn't tell anyone. I was afraid that they would do like an exorcism or something like that on me anyways because my family was already so, you know, and it didn't matter. I knew that if I told them that, my I was afraid at that time that my family would agree, well, yes, you are a bad person, so you deserve it kind of situation. Oh, um, terrible. Yeah, so I just didn't say anything and it continued on and on. It would happen when I'd, I'd get really tired and I'd want to take naps in the middle of the day. So it wasn't just a nighttime thing. I'd go to like the living room so I wouldn't be in my bedroom in case I thought that they were in my bedroom. Nope, they, it would happen in the middle of the day in the living room as well. And they would tease me. They would like run their hand up my legs as they came into the, I could feel them come in the room. It was like they were having fun just torturing me. Yeah. Yep. And so I said nothing for years until I went to college. And, um, and that's what I actually did find out what they are. And that was because I went to a Greek mythology class. And I ended up needing to talk to the teacher and the teacher and I somehow got on the subject and somehow I felt comfortable enough to tell him. And he jumped up in excitement and ran to the bookshelf and was like, I know these things. I've heard of these things. And that's when he actually gave me a book that showed me what they were. Didn't stop them, of course, but it was the first time I knew that I wasn't 100% crazy that this was happening. Yeah, of course. What I found out, you know, was once I stopped believing in religion and that sort of thing and started partying really hard, I would party till I could pass out and then they wouldn't bother me, right? So I thought, oh, awesome. I can get some sleep and I can not think about them for a change if I just party my ass off. And so the unfortunate side of that whole situation is during that time, because I didn't like myself very much and I was a very sheltered girl that didn't know how to pick friends at all because they had always been picked for me or chosen for me. Um, I also didn't know how to pick a partner. And so the partner that I chose and allowed into my life was also very abusive. Now on the outside, he was awesome. He was charming. He was everybody's best friend. He was hilarious. He was the life of the party and very popular. And that was the crowd I ran in was, you know, the party animals. Somehow I kept a job somehow kept three jobs and put myself through school and then I would party all the time. But behind closed doors, he was very, very abusive. He was mentally and physically abusive, especially when I got really, really drunk. And I just dealt with it. Mm. So I went on and on and for years like that. Of course. And as, again, talking about our spiritual growth and what we've both learned over the years is like attracts like. So if you're not Mm. looking after yourself, you're going to attract someone that is not going to look after you. So, you know, it's all about 
what you're attracting. So obviously you were in a very dark place. Can we talk about when you started to practice self-harm techniques? The first self-harm basically started after I looked at myself in the mirror for the first time in many years and tried to figure out who I was. And that's when I first started punching mirrors. And so I'd punch these mirrors while I was really drunk or on drugs. And I'd start self-harming with the shards of mirror that I had broken. And that's also when the really hard stuff happened because I I got involved with a group of friends that were doing methamphetamines. And sort of by accident the first time, they gave me a line. I thought it was cocaine. And then I found out it wasn't afterwards. And then they taught me how to smoke it instead. So I was basically a dental assistant during the day, upstanding citizen, right? A huge alcoholic by night. And on the weekends, because as a dental assistant, you get three days off, I would smoke methamphetamines with these friends. And that is how my life continued for a lot, too long of a time. It was about a year and I kept cutting and I kept punching mirrors and I do, you know, it wasn't every night that that would happen, but it was every couple of weeks I'd think about really taking my own life. And after about a year, I decided there has to be, I have to do something else. I either have to take my own life and get it over with. Or I need to actually do something drastically different and I need to get away somehow and do something else that would change. Oh, my goodness. So let's talk about, on a more positive note, that turnaround and the fact that you decided to go travelling and remove yourself from your environment. Yeah, well, that was one of the main things I really want to get across to anyone who might be in the situation where they feel that they can't get out of, you know, Nobody in my family traveled ever. We didn't have the money, right? I was a college student as well. And traveling was sort of out of the question, especially to third world countries where it was scary. You know, there was all kinds of fear around leaving the environment. There was also a lot of being told that you can't leave. You have to stay and face your problems and, and then go to church more or get some counseling or go to AA or whatever. Everyone seemed to have a an idea of how they were going to help me or fix me, even though I kept it as quiet as possible. They knew I wasn't great, but they didn't know how bad it was. They still wanted to fix me, you know, and, and the options that I had were not working for me. So what I did was I said, what's going to make me feel awesome. And for me, it was going and helping someone else and going somewhere where nobody knew me, nobody spoke English and I could just get away and get away from the friends and the family and the ideas, and even the religion and the culture that I was used to. That was a big thing I wanted to get away from. And so that's when I decided to go ahead and start volunteering in dentistry in Thailand and then India. And it scared everyone, and they tried to talk me out of it, and they gave me lots of reasons why it would never work. But having that dream, a dream, for once in many, many years and having the opportunity to figure out how I was going to make the money to go, which, you know, I did car washes and garage sales and, you know, I'd go around and pick up people's junk and then I'd do garage sales just to make the money to go. Oh, good Um, on you. Yeah, it was just, it gave me something, you know, it gave me a sense of living again. And because when you're, you're at that point where you're ready to take your own life, you feel so numb. You're so numb that the pain that you inflict on yourself feels better than feeling numb. So 
this flipped the switch for me and it gave me something exciting to look forward to. And I was still doing the meth. I was still drinking. I was still doing all the things that I was doing before, hanging out with the same friends while I was doing the car washes, while I was doing the garage sales. And, you know, so it was still happening, but there was that flicker of excitement and possibility. You are amazing because... As I said at the start of the interview, I just would not have known this about you. So you're just a really great example of turning your life around and just proving that just because you are in a situation doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. So I really strongly suggest that whole removing yourself from the environment as well. And you had your aha moment while you're away. So that is amazing. Um, But just the whole fact of moving away from your environment if you're not happy and don't let people say that you're running away. You know, just if you're not happy somewhere, have a look if somewhere else makes you happier. And I totally yeah. agree with you on that. Yeah. And be careful who, who you take advice from. I'm going to say that because I used to take advice from people that didn't have the relationships that I wanted. You know, they didn't have a relationship with themselves or other people that I wanted to have. They didn't travel. They didn't respond. They weren't happy, you know, and I was taking advice from these kind of people because they were my peers and Just be very careful who you're taking advice from and find what's going to work for you to choose life. Yes, totally agree. Now, just before you go, what advice would you give others with deep depression? So obviously you're saying to remove yourself and go somewhere else. Have you got any other helpful advice? Definitely. Yeah. For me, it was going and helping other people as well. Like if you can remove yourself to the point where, I mean, you might not be able to leave the country, but if you can find a cause or something you can help. Like for me, it was doing dentistry in these other countries. I'd, especially in India where I had my big like moment of feeling love again. It was these small acts of kindness that I was able to give to these people that were virtually, they virtually had nothing, you know, they had nothing, but they were happy. They would give me their last bit of lentils or last bit of chai as I would, you know, show them how to chew on a neem stick to clean their teeth better you know, which they knew about, but they didn't understand the little intricacies of their gums and teeth. And everything was body language, but it was these tiny acts of kindness getting out of the normal, my normal world that started to teach me love again and how to feel love and how to be happy with myself and feel proud of myself for doing something special. And then just receiving that love, learning to receive it from other people. Again, even people that I didn't know or couldn't really speak the language, it was just so wonderful to feel that and have these moments and it just built up little by little by little that feeling that I used to have of what real love actually is so get out find love have an adventure even and if you can just help someone else just find a way to help someone else a little bit at a time it helped me a lot wow Thank you again for being so courageous and sharing your journey from such a dark place into so much love and light. And, you know, you are just such a beautiful soul and I'm glad that you found your happiness in the end. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. And really, like once you get past, I think that's why I'm so happy now is because I've I've been there and now I choose to feel happy. So it's, and I do what it takes to do that. So anyone can do it. 
Great stuff. And if anyone is wanting to follow you, they can find Stevie under Stevie Noah, and it's also on Facebook under Stevie's Hangout. So I'll also put all those details in the show notes for this podcast. But thank you so much again for your time. And let's put that helpline out so that anyone listening in, if you need some help, you always please remember that there's help out there and that you are never alone. The Lifeline telephone number is 13 11 14 and they can help with crisis support and also suicide prevention thank you for your time thank you